Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Now, I'm preaching this message in light of two things, one in the Bible and one in just recent days. I, I heard a preacher just preach this past week for seven and a half hours. And I also read about Paul the Apostle. He preached one night where a guy fell asleep in the window and fell out of the roof and died, and he had to raise him up. And then he kept preaching. Paul kept preaching the rest of the night. That would give you new material to preach about. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. I'm not going to do that, by the way. But it says, what more shall I say? What more shall I say? This is what the writer of Hebrews said. What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon. Then it says, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel and the prophets. Well, I want to go back to the first part of that verse and the first name. Let's go back. What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon. Now, so I looked up Gideon, and that's the only reference of his name in the New Testament. One time it occurs in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. It's, it's the, the hall of, of faith. And I think Hebrews 11 is a, one of those compendiums, which is a concise or comprehensive summary of a larger work. It's a concise and comprehensive summary of a larger work. And it starts with the very beginning, and it goes all the way to where we're at, where it talks about people who by faith conquered kingdoms, shut the mouths of lions, and quenched the power of fire, and overcame and conquered So when I read about Gideon, he occurs in Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. His name is mentioned in the King James Version, I think about 39 times. Uh, Only 39 times. And yet, even though he's dead, he still speaks. And he speaks a lot of things. And and I'm not going to do the seven and a half hour message. I'm not going to preach all night. I don't want anybody falling out of a window. But time would fail me if I talked about Gideon. So I'm just going to believe God that you get exactly what you personally need from these amazing New Testament and Old Testament stories. It's referenced and anchored in the New Testament, so then it's current for us today. This is an example of patterns of things. So let's go to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, and uh, that's right after Joshua. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. So it's the seventh book in the Old Testament, and it's pretty awesome. Gideon was a reluctant warrior. Gideon was somebody that the Lord was trying to use, and he was in a, in a, a tough and difficult start. There was a national problem, though. And it says in chapter 6, it says, Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. And the power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made themselves for themselves dens, which were in the mountains and caves and the strongholds. So because of the oppression, they lived in a cave. They lived in a confined environment. Part of this was positive because they had to preserve and protect their stuff. Part of this was negative because the very atmosphere created hindrance. 
And it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up from, with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. Everybody say Midianites. Say Amalekites. Now Midianites as the descendants of Abraham, Midian. And the Amalekites, these were tribes that developed and would camp against Israel. They would camp against Israel. Look at this in verse 4. And destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and they would leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. They would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. One thing I want you to note is that they had camels, and camels are fast animals. These guys were in this atmosphere the the enemy came in with their camels and they would come in so fast. Israel was on foot and the enemy had these fast beasts. And what they did is they camped against them. This is harsh. In order to destroy the produce of the ground. And this is exactly what Jesus describes the patterns of Satan and the forces of darkness. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, I have come to give life and that much more abundantly. In this moment, however, Israel had sinned and there was darkness that had entered into the scene and it gave allowance for this oppression and uh, they would come in like locusts. And in the book of Joel, there's a prophecy that God, who is a restorer, said he'd restore to Israel the years the locust has eaten, the gnawing locust, the creeping locust. And you know, locusts are weird. And my, son, my son-in-law, Steve, said, have you ever been bitten by a grasshopper? And I have. Has anyone ever been bitten by a grasshopper? I'm telling you, watch out. Because they look like they're just mild-mannered little creatures, but they bite. And you get bit by a grasshopper, it changes your whole outlook on grasshoppers. <laughs> and I don't like the idea of locusts. You know, you read about the curses of, of ancient Egypt, when locusts came in, you know, this is what the Amalekites and the Midianites came in, what they looked like when they would come in. They would camp against them and they would try to steal the produce of their ground. I'm telling you, there was, however, a breakthrough. This story gets very, very good. But in order to understand the goodness of the breakthrough, you have to see the harshness of the oppression, okay? So this is the way this is structured. And, and there's, there's oppression in the land, and Israel was brought very low, it said in verse 6. Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. See, this, verse 6, is the turning point. In a movie, there, there is a scene in the movie where it's the worst in the whole movie, and then that's when it sets up to be redemptive. And that's like one of the fundamentals in the storyline of it. And, and the case here is that this is the turning point. Everybody say turning point. And it, they were brought very low because of the Midianites. They were brought very low. They, were trying, they would come in and steal. And I think about Mark chapter 4, verse 14, that when the word is sown, the sower sows the word. You know, they, it talked here about how they camped against them and tried to destroy the produce of the earth. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, uh, but yet God has designed you and me to be highly fruitful, highly productive, and see the fruit come to fruition. Come on. And so we've got to, we've got to contend on this. And, and, and here's the thing. 
that there's such depression in the air, you could cut it with a knife. There's so much, they would start to grow crops, and just in a moment, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what would happen here. These guys would grow grains, and they would grow crops, and they would have their cattle and so forth, and then these enemies would come in to steal it. And they got, they got really down. They got at a low point. But yet, then they cried out to the Lord. When they cried out to the Lord, God sent a prophet in verse 8, and the prophet prophesied to them. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. God keeps bringing us up and keeps bringing us out. And the first word from this prophet was a word, they already, knew they, they already knew they were in trouble. But when they cried out to the Lord, God brings this prophetic voice, and he says, I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians, from the hands of your oppressors, and dispossessed them before you, and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God, you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. So when we see here that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, the prophet then describes ultimately what their evil was. And what their evil was, was that they lapsed into the fear of the gods of the Amorites in whose land they lived in. And he had to rebuke them for being disobedient. And they were about to bust out and get out of the spirit of fear and start to see tremendous things turn around. Now, if you fast forward, how many of you have heard of Gideon's army? Okay, how many did he have at the end of his uh, refinement? 300. How many did he have when he started? Quick, don't look. How many? 22,000. And then uh, the first wave of testing that the Lord did was he filtered out all those that were in fear, and in that moment, 12,000 left. And then the next test was he watched to see how they drank water. And there were two styles of drinking water of the 10,000, the majority got down and drank out of the water with their heads down and their eyes off of the scenario. And, but only 300, they picked up the water and drank it and had their heads up. The Bible says, be alert, be sober-minded, and be watch and pray. And this was the defining moment that brought Gideon, and I'm going to go back to the Gideon reluctance, but God brought forth a group of people that were sensitive, heads up, overcoming the fear of the gods of the, the Amorites and so forth in whose land they lived in, they watched, they didn't just take their eyes off the game, they were aware of nuance and sensitive. I think the 300, I would say, were sensitive to the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But Gideon was the most uh, interesting choice for the angel of the Lord to visit. It says that the angel of the Lord came in verse 11 and sat under an oak tree that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. Now, right there it sparks something that Gideon was being faithful in a small thing, Gideon was in the wine press beating wheat, which is hard work because the separation of the chaff from the grain required wind blowing, and obviously in a cave there is no wind, but he, in order to preserve the produce to feed the people, in this moment, 
of containment, they had to do, they had to set up in caves, it said in verse 2, for strongholds in the mountains. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. I want you to look at somebody and say, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. But now look at his reaction, guys. Look at his reaction. Read this verse. Maybe in light of some of the reluctance of your own life. Listen to this. Then Gideon said to him, first a prophet comes and prophesies a reminder of how great God is that he brought him up and brought him out and he keeps bringing him up and keeps bringing him out. He says, you guys lapsed into fear, but you need to get out of fear. God responds when they cried. They had seven years or so of trouble and they cried out to the Lord and God turned things around in this moment. And yet, while God is calling this guy to step up, and I would just say as God is calling, and be aware of this, because this, I said, is a concise compendium, a summary of a larger issue. So when you read this, in addition to reading the history of it, look at the characteristics of God's love toward the people and humanity's flaw, insecurity, reluctance, and hesitation in order that you can take on the great strength that God's about to supply and you could break out of your own insecurities and that, those tendencies. And look at, look at these self-canceling tendencies. Look at this. The Lord says to him, the angel of the Lord says to him, O valiant, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Those two things, that, that covers everything. When God's with you, God's with you. Jesus' name, Emmanuel, God, it means God with us. And so when God's with us, we've got it. I mean, that, that's the big deal. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. Whenever Jesus shows up, signs, wonders, miracles, redemption occurs. Sin is broken. Satan has to flee. What fellowship has light with darkness? I mean, whole the hippie culture got changed because of this. The cold formalism of the turn of the last century, 1890s to, to 1910, got melted, it got thawed by a moment when people cried out to the Lord and God moved, God moved with fire. But yet here's Gideon just basically trying to disqualify himself. He's just saying, he says, hey, he says, oh Lord, if the Lord is with us, then then, then, then why has all this happened to us? And where are the miracles which our fathers told us about? I mean, this is pretty amazing. The Lord is trying to raise this guy up, and he's already trying to shut it down. This is, in fact, the pattern of flesh, of our flesh. And there's a lot to be learned here that we can take heed to and learn from, but it gets really good. Everybody say this gets better. He said, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him. Now look, first it's a prophet, then it's an angel, then the Lord looked at him. He's getting some witnesses here. He says, go in this your strength. That's mystifying because what was his strength? His strength was that his flesh was contrasted by what God was saying. In his flesh, it's like our circumstances are terrible. Why has all this happened to us? And he gets in this why God, why thing, which is a temptation we're gonna, everybody till the end has to deal with. If God really loved us, then why is all this happening? And yet the Lord looks past that and he says, 
hey, listen, Gideon, while you're trying to tear everything down, I'm going to show you how big I am. And these chapters are really, hey, God comes in on the scene with his sleeves rolled up saying, I'm about ready to show myself strong on your behalf. The Amalekites with their camels, stealing all your stuff, about ready to get busted in the chops. The devil comes in the, immediately to steal the word that's been sown. And uh, Satan comes and takes the word which has been sown in them. He comes to steal. But right now we're going to go back and take back what the enemy's stolen from us. We realize that even when the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises a standard against him. And that like Joel's prophecy, the, the Lord will restore to you for the years the locust has eaten. In the case of Gideon, it was seven long, hard years. Some of you, it's been 20, 40 years. Some of you, you've been so frozen, it's going to take a little bit of time to thaw you out. I heated up some risotto that Patsy bought me, and uh, I had to punch the button several times because it was in the refrigerator, and it just I could pull it out and put a paper towel over it and did, you know, what in it, and, and I taste, oh, it's still not right. And so I kept punching it, and finally, I stirred it up. Steam came out, yay verily. I doused it with some hot sauce. I've seasoned it up. I put a lot of pepper on it. Because, man, when you have a beige meal, you got to put pepper on it. I'm just saying. So some of you, as I'm preaching, I'm starting to, I feel that you're thawing out. You're thawing out. You're getting out, getting a breakthrough. You may not know it, but... He said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of, of Midian. He said, have I not sent you? And then Gideon retreats back into more disqualification. He said to them, oh Lord, how shall I de deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh and I am the youngest in my father's house. So now he's, he's just layering up. God's calling him a valiant warrior. He's saying, go in this your strength. He's saying, the Lord is with you. Deliver Israel, have I not sent you? And all Gideon is doing is expressing these attitudes that have been formed by seven years of disappointment, and God is trying to overturn those false convictions by bringing, introducing, hey, I'm the God that delivers, I'm the God that brought you up, and I'm the God that brought you out. And in fact, that's what the prophet rebuked them with. He didn't rebuke him with, you guys are bad, 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 and that's why the Amalekites are attacking you. He started out with, hey, I brought you up and I brought you out. God starts coming in and the first prophetic message is, hey, remember how big God is. And oh, by the way, you feared the gods of the Amorites and you disobeyed me and God was trying to deal with and correct that spirit of fear. Come on, man. You wanna know what's happening right now in the United States? You wanna know what's happening right now in the earth? God's raising up the Gideons of the world, and we're having this kind of necessity to push the defrost button more than once or twice or three times in order to thaw out, and even working through some of these attitudes. Hey, if God really loved me, then why did this happen? You got to be careful with this, you guys. This is toxic. This is toxic, because it's designed, that pattern is designed to hinder your destiny and mine. And we've got to overcome this stuff. And that's why God says, go in this your strength. Well, what was his strength? I'm with you. That's the strength. 
He said, I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's the last thing Jesus said in the book of Matthew. Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. But the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Do you know there are things that you are called to do that only you can do? Did you know that's why the Bible says it's not wise to compare ourselves among ourselves? And that we as a church, as a movement, as a culture, the body of Christ, are admonished over and over and over again not to compare ourselves among ourselves. That's why I, you know, I, I don't try to figure out what's going on in the church world and then try to figure out how to make it happen here. I'm trying to look to the head of the church and see what he wants to do in this particular church. And you as an individual, we as individuals, buy into this idea that is over and over and over again repeated in the Old and New Testament, particularly as you listen to Paul's writings about the proper working of each individual part and that we are the body and that the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. And this to me is one of the big dreams I have for St. Louis Family Church is that people catch the spirit of the gifting in their lives and get cool with it and get on with it and realize, man, I am what I am by the grace of God. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'm the head and not the tail. I'm second to none. I'm, 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 Jesus is in my life, and I'm more than a conqueror. And that needs to get in our spirit. And, and it needs to defrost and thaw out all the chill and so in order that we could move into a new dimension. And yet here's Gideon going, nah, if God really loved us, why did this happen? Where are the miracles? And I'm the least of my father's house. We live on the wrong side of the tracks and blah, 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 blah. And the prophet or the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself says to him, hey man, you're gonna defeat the Midianites as one man. I'm gonna give you a strategy that's gonna change the world. God is a strategist. God calls people and here we are, it's like Saul of Tarsus. Who would have thought it? He was mean. He was a persecutor. He even got certified paperwork. And he's on the road to Damascus to try to stop Christianity in its tracks. And then God goes, you know what? He looks like he'd be suitable. I think I'll use him to pioneer churches and write half the New Testament. None of us would pick him. The early church was so freaked out that the guy that the Lord appointed to lay hands on him, Ananias, had an argument with God. He said, hey, God, uh, let me help you out here. This guy's weird. <laughs> and God's going, yeah, he's a chosen vessel of mine, man. So just do your thing. All right. So he lays hands on him, prays for him. Scales fall from Paul's eyes. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. The guy that didn't even want to do it. In fact, much of the Old and New Testament, the people are on assignment and have to work through some of these same kinds of things. So here we are. And uh, one thing I do not want to do is overstimulate you into maniacal kind of concepts. The Bible says we're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. I don't necessarily think that's so much the problem as much as the reluctance and the insecurity that the enemy's trying to use and has been trying to use and forge for the last several years. I've seen that megalomaniac thing that gets on people where they try to push out of God's will and we gotta keep surrendering our lives to the Lord, keep seeking first his kingdom, 
Not my will, but thy will be done. Even Jesus said, I don't do anything of my own volition. What I see my father do, that's what I do. He complied and, was, and he was the example to us. Well, I think Gideon is even an example because Gideon is threshing wheat in the wine press. These guys on their camels are coming in and ripping off all their stuff. And that would be a bummer. I've never been in a farm situation where, where locusts, I, I've never been able to personally see that. I've seen some, you know, films about it and I've read about it in the Bible. Modern day, you know, I, I, when my, my father was a child, the, the Dust Bowl, I read all about that. John uh, Steinbeck wrote about the Grapes of Wrath and people migrating out to California and so forth. You know, I've seen the effects of war. I mean, when we went to Jakova, we saw buildings demolished and hearts broken and widows weeping. You know, you see that. I've seen the pallor that comes on a generation. I, you know, I've, I got to be saved in the context of a revival. Patsy and I were in something that was a revival, and then it came and went, as the revivals often do. So thankfully, I'm not obsessed with waiting around for the next revival. Uh, I think we should be busy threshing wheat in the wine press, even if it's a contained sort of confinement, and keep our eyes on Jesus for this and call out to the Lord, not be fearing the gods of the Amorites. I'm preaching right now. Because the spirit of fear is trying to generate in this hour, and we, what do we do? We pick our fight. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. In this case, it was against spiritual forces behind the Amalekites, the Midianites, and so forth. And God was raising this guy up, and he says, listen, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midians as one man. Defeat Midian as one man. Gideon said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speaks with me. Now, I want to just say something about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? Because in the New Testament, it says it's a crooked generation, a perverse generation that seeks after signs. And uh, we're not in the New Testament to be led by outward indicators. Now, in the book of Psalms, it talks about, show me a token of thy good. So I want to not downplay this too much. I want to say what I'm saying, and I also want to say what I'm not saying. God confirms his word with signs and wonders, but I'm telling you, his word is reliable, and we're to be led by the Holy Spirit, and our foundation is the word of God. It's great if we have outside confirmation. That's wonderful, but we do not hang our hat on that. In fact, I don't have time to preach on this, but when he did this fleecing thing, it's not biblical to put out a fleece. Lord, if you want me to move to Omaha, I'm going to pray that a bird flies over and sits on my antenna of not my car, but my wife's car for three minutes and 45 seconds and sings a beetle medley. I mean, the devil will have a bird come fly and sing beetle medley. I mean, sing, you know, all of uh, Abbey Road for you, get you to move to Omaha. Well, the Lord told me to move to Omaha. No, I've had people based on, well, I was, I'm married to this person, but I saw this person in church, and that's really the one that I'm supposed to get married to, and that's God. It's like, no, it's not God. You made a covenant with that one. Stay with that one. That's not God. Well, but I feel this, and my bunion throbbed, and I, you know, and I've got my... That's sad. I mean, you pastor for a while, you, go th you learn some things. But I, I do think this is kind of like even Peter... Pre-Jesus dying on the cross, he said, 
in Matthew chapter 14, hey, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. Command me to come. And he, and he said, come, and he walked on water. I think this is an indication of Gideon's surrender, Gideon's surrender, where he's spiritually saying, hey, God, I, I, I don't want to be presumptuous, so I need, I, you know, he's coming out of a lot of, remember, he's thawing out, he's coming out of a lot of darkness. So God provided for him. In the Old Testament, God did, uh, because these guys weren't born again yet. They were not let, filled with the Holy Spirit yet, okay? We're in a new covenant inaugurated on better promises. I think this is important, because I really, what I, I am downplaying this notion of outside confirmations. Like, all of us in here, we're trying to be led by the Holy Spirit. We're trying to obey God and identify what God wants us to do. I just had a talk with somebody, and I said, I actually said to him, I said, hey, I want you to know, I don't want to throw my bias in here, but this is how I feel. And then I stopped, and I thought, I'm not influence peddling here, but this is how I feel about it. And, and you know, even Paul, in one case in the Scriptures, he said, this is not the Holy Spirit, this is me, but I think I have the Holy Spirit with me. So that clarification deserves to be pointed out. And so when you read in Gideon here, I mean, I even remember a believer that I had a lot of respect for, and they were putting out a fleece and this kind of thing. I said, wait a minute, if you put out a fleece, you're likely to get fleeced. Now you say, well, what is putting out a fleece? If you've never read Judges, read Judges chapter 6, he said, I'm going to put a fleece out. They put it out, and hey, if, it, if there's dew on it, then I'm going to do this. And if it's dry, I'm going to do that. And so he's doing all this stuff, and God's working with what he had in this moment. But where we get in danger is we take an Old Testament concept, and we try to extrapolate it and apply it in an era now where the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We can be led by the Holy Spirit. We don't need fleeces. We don't need outward signs. It's like, no, this is what the Bible says. This is what I'm going to stand on. All my circumstances are going against me, but I'm not waiting around for some sort of sign because, God, you've already given me your word, and, Father, in Jesus' name, I stand on your word. Oh, this is reliable, you guys, because, man, haven't we had some circumstances that are weird? Haven't we been through one disappointment after the other? I mean, it's inevitable that offenses will come. Life disappoints. It's a fallen world, and it's, it's, it's uh, you know, full of burrs and briars and thorns and thistles. And yet, God is piercing through this darkness. God is looking for hearts that are yielded to him. God is calling people out, and there's not one of us other than Jesus that's perfect. Jesus, the head of the church, perfect. We, the brethren that follow him, humans are flawed. And yet God has still chosen to include us and use us. That's why it's so heartwarming to see how the Lord addressed Gideon. Gideon, he said, hey, Gideon's not signing up. Gideon's frustrated. I feel like there's a measure of anger on him. I don't feel like he's going... I don't feel like he's in a stained glass window on any of this so far. I don't feel like light's shooting out of him and he has a halo on him at all. I feel like he's this irritable guy with a scowl on his face. It's like, whoa, I don't even want to talk to that guy. Yet God did anyway. Aren't you glad God's not finished with you? Look at somebody and say, God's not finished with you. He said, hey, Gideon got freaked out. He said, hey, God, I need to have all these signs. And then he had signs. He said, oh, no, I've seen an angel. 
And then, because if you see an angel, you see the Lord face to face, you'll die. And then the Lord has to say to him in verse 27, hey, 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 peace be to you. Do not be afraid. You will not die. I love this guy. It's like, I need to have a sign. I need to have a sign. Oh, I have a sign. Now I'm going to die. No, you're not going to die. Come on. And then he says, hey, hey, tear down this, uh, this altar to Baal with this Asherah pole. It says altar to Baal. And he says, uh, so he takes 10 men. And he does it at night. He does what the Lord tells him, verse 27. But he did it at night because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city. So he did it at night, not by day. So this could have disqualified him. But yet God eased Gideon into his calling. I said God eased Gideon into his calling. Similar to Nicodemus who came out by night. Instead of Jesus going, man, you're so loaded with peer pressure, you jerk. I'm not even going to talk to you anymore. He, he talk, not only does he talk to him, he says some of the most profound things in all of the book, Gospel of John. You must be born again. And God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. was in the context of a guy coming out and going, hey, what's all this Jesus stuff? <laughs> By the way, there are a lot of those that are those types that need you to be thought out and on fire. Well, but I'm the least in my father's house. Pastor Jeff, I failed, and I've had locusts eating on me. I have been bitten by the grasshoppers. And God just worked it out. And Gideon tore down the altar to Baal. And then the anointing came for the consolidation of things. And Gideon blew a trumpet. Gideon blew a trumpet. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it talks about, unless a bugle makes a distinct tone, how could anybody respond to it? And people are trying to figure out right now, what is the Lord saying? When at the seven-year drought there uh, or of oppression that came as a result of them being seized by fear, the prophet pierced through the darkness by saying, hey, God's the, I'm the God who delivered you, brought you up, and brought you out. The arm of the flesh is a vain thing. And see, God calls this guy out, and God says, hey, I'm going to be with you. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm about ready to pour out something on you that's going to change up society as we know it. It's about ready to change and make history. It's about ready to squash the oppression and, and, and vanquish the enemy and bring things into a new resolve. So Gideon gets up and blows a trumpet and the people that God had called gathered together around him. Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, they came up to meet them. So when Gideon blew the trumpet, a team started to assemble. Then there had to be refinement and I told you this, they're 22,000, and then, uh, but whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart, go to Mount Gilead. 12,000 immediately peeled off, and there were 10,000 remaining. Attentiveness is paramount in this hour. Be watchful, be sensitive. Don't be fearful. Just get your antennas out with God. I drove in early this morning. We caught a flight back here. We were out of town on an assignment, and Patsy was praying. She didn't just pray for our flight. She prayed for all airplanes. Well, on the news, she got it confirmed that a plane out of Chicago just caught fire, but everybody was spared. So well, what does that have to do with it? It's good. I, I, we just learned not to, not to stop short in our prayer. I remember praying for air traffic control. And I stopped short. I just prayed over America. I should have continued to pray all the way to Australia because that's when that flight got lost out in the water. You say, Pastor Jeff, don't be hard on yourself. Listen, we need to not underestimate our position or our calling. 
We, we, we shouldn't overestimate it either. We just need to understand God, his eyes are running to and fro throughout the earth looking for people whose hearts are his that he may strongly support. And I do believe God answers prayer and I do believe in his sovereignty he has called us to be people of prayer and people of action. So let's say if you play too far into extremes, then it's we've got to do all this stuff for God. That's one extreme. The other extreme is we just idly just let, hey, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. And, and it's easy to be extreme. It's quite a challenge to be balanced. So in God's sovereignty, he has, de- he has delegated responsibility and authority to his people. And he's looking for people who will yield to him. Isaiah 6, 8, say this with me. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Use me. I'm making myself available. <laughs> See, some of you, you're going to have to get some rust out. You're going to have to push that thaw button a few more times on your microwave to get the cold out of it. Our God is a consuming fire, and he's sending fire on this thing, and he'll help you. Okay, the good part is the Lord gave strategy. He said, I want you to get torches, I want you to get clay pots, and I want you to get trumpets, and I want you to just step out. It's radical. They got out there, they had their torches lit, and they covered them up so they're out in the dark. And at the right time, they broke the the jars, blew the trumpets, and they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Chapter 7, verse 22 says, and when they blew 300 trumpets, the Lord set the sword of one against the other, even throughout the whole army, and the army fled as far as Beth Shittah toward Zerah, as far as the edge of Abel, whatever, and... and by Los Angeles. And the men of Israel, they won. They won the battle. They won the battle. What kind of locusts are, you, are hanging on you? God will restore the years the locusts has eaten. They killed Zeb at the wine press of Zeb, and they whacked off Oreb's head at, I guess, the rock of Oreb. Wine press of Zeb and the rock of Oreb is like... They didn't really want to have those places named after them, after, you know, for this. But these were the leaders, and, and, you know, the Bible says, smite, bind the strong man and spoil his goods. And this is, in effect, what happened, and it triggered a change. So, the Lord wants us to be bold. I'm putting a trumpet to my lips. I don't want to produce an indistinct sound. The sense I have and the the duties of God's people. We've got to work through our insecurities. We've got to work through past hurts. We cannot be governed by offenses. We must not be led by offenses. Well, you hurt my feelings. I'm going to let that sculpt the rest of my thinking for the rest of my life. Well, no, that would hinder your productivity. That would sabotage your process. I want to take a survey. How many of you have been offended and hurt by people? Let me see your hands. How many of you have been the offender? Let me see your hands. Okay, thank you. So then forgive your trespasses if we forgive our trespasses. It's like mercy, show mercy, you'll be shown mercy. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Okay, so we're out from that self-righteousness now and finger pointing. And now we're like, we're getting, into a, we're getting into the right place. Did Gideon ever get into the mood? I don't know. But he got into the flow. God processed him. Said, hey, would you tear down that idolatry pole? You could do it at night with 10 guys. Yeah, well, but I want to have a sign and a wonder. I want to have an angel. Hey, whoa, no, don't kill me, God. Whoa, no, I'm not going to kill you. You'll be all right, all right. Whoa, whoa. And he just works through all this reluctance. 
Say this with me. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. What is the Lord doing in this hour? Man, we're about ready to see some major changes. We're about ready to see some things happen, but I'll tell you what. Jesus never changes. We receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. His word is forever settled in heaven. His grace is sufficient. So here we are, just like that risotto that I had to thaw out. And uh, I see some steam rising on some of the edges. Some of it's cold in the middle, but I'm just going to just put a fork in it, stir it up. Look at somebody say, put a fork in it. That's what's happening in church tonight. We're putting a fork in it. I'm going to finish with this. Gideon fought and raised up a team to fight a battle, a physical battle, and they won. And it changed and shaped history. And it leaves a pattern for us. As I said, a compendium, which is a summary, concise summary that sums up a larger pattern. And here's what it is. When Israel cried out to the Lord, God moved. So what we're going to do is we're going to cry out to the Lord in each situation. What that speaks of is dependence and trust in God. And that's really where, that's where we get thought out. And I am intrigued by people that press in and they, they press past their oppression and they keep showing up. Disappointments and trials that you had no control over and you just keep pressing on with God. And you win in the battles. You say, man, I just feel kind of apathetic. Well, that's repent. Get on fire. Because when Gideon was tested, the Lord kept encouraging him. When Gideon was reluctant, the Lord kept pouring out encouragement on him. And I feel like God is pouring out courage in the place of all that insecurity. And I remember a preacher, he said, God will take out that wet spaghetti noodle and put a crowbar in your back. So there's just been some back surgery in here tonight. And we've just gone from sniveling to soaring with God in faith.